We're going to cover a lot of territory today, so have your Bibles ready or your Bible app. Do you know that there's a Bible within the Holy Word app? So if you open the Holy Word app, you're going to get a Bible version right on your phone. And uh, I'll be looking at a number of these verses here from Luke chapter 1 and chapter 24. You can also follow along in the worship folder. It's printed there and, and print some notes in the worship folder as well so you can take it with you for the week. So earlier in the week, we followed the riots that were taking place in Milwaukee, caused by a clash of cultures of, of different classes who have their own language. And you could hear that language of the different cultures based on who they were interviewing or who was talking about what was going on in those riots. Language and culture. And then those cultures or those la that language was expressed, right, by it came out through social media, which caused all the people to gather and to, and to be infused and, and impassioned with, and to riot. Um, words, communication was shared, and that's what made some of that happen and possible. And finally, you, you observed people burning with a passion. Right or wrong in your eyes? But people were burning with passion. Uh, on the side of violence, on the, on the side of safety as well. I assure you that the hearts of law enforcement officers were beating and beating strong with passion to keep the peace and make that place safe. And then literally burning with passion as uh, BP gas station burned and, and stores burned and even uh, some homes were attempted to, to start on fire. So we saw this intense rioting and passion earlier in the week. That's the negative side of burning passion. The positive side is an event in the Bible. There's numerous events in the Bible, but one that I want to share with you is Pentecost Sunday. If you're familiar with your Bibles and have studied this before, you remember what happened on Pentecost Sunday when the Holy Spirit came and all the believers were there. And uh, what were the three earthly evidences of the Holy Spirit's presence on Pentecost Sunday? You had the sound of a violent wind. That, that was an evidence of the Holy Spirit. So we have this wind. We have this, this movement. We have communication. You had the, the apostles speaking different languages or tongues, meaning that these are real languages they hadn't studied or known before, and all of a sudden they find themselves speaking in it because the Holy Spirit gave them that ability. And so we have language, and we have culture, and we have communication, and finally we have fire, tongues of fire appearing on their heads. And we have passion ignited. Same thing as the Milwaukee riots, only it's for good and for faith and for God's kingdom. Those are good examples of how the Holy Spirit works and how he uses his word. And so what I want today, that set the stage for both the, the source of God's word and its effect. How it changes us, where it came from, and that's what we're going to learn in Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 24 today. Before we do all of that, I need you, if you have your Bibles, to go to a second, second Peter chapter 1. Verse 20 and 21. Uh, this has to set the stage for everything. I should probably read this every time before I preach. And you should read it every time before I have a conversation with someone about anything religious or anything spiritual. Because if we don't agree on this, all bets are off for everything. This, is a, this, is what, this verse starts out and says, above all, right? This is the trump card 
for everything that we believe in our lives, that we live for, and that I preach about and that you share with your friends. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about from the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Who can tell me the name of the Bible doctrine that, that, that those verses tell us about? What's the name of the Bible teaching? Anyone out there online watching this, you might know or might be cheating and see it in your notes. Verbal inspiration. All right, we refer to that teaching as verbal inspiration. God the Holy Spirit, verbal, gave or guided the very words that God wanted in the Bible to the men who wrote the Bible. Inspiration is a word that means breathed out, communicated to them, worked with them so that they knew exactly what to write. Working through different media, sometimes he would send a vision, Sometimes he would give them a dream, a vision you see when you're awake during the day, a dream you see when you're asleep at night. Same thing, two different scenarios. Sometimes he would um, speak to them directly. Sometimes he would just move their heart to express what they were thinking or feeling. But all of it, God worked through these men so that we, we don't call it the word of men, we call it the word of God, and that's why, verbal inspiration. He worked through them. So here we see, we see Luke being verbally inspired to write the Gospel of Luke. There's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We call the men who wrote them evangelists. That means gospel guys, gospel writers. And Luke is one of the gospel writers. Uh, and he tells us how this all came about. But as, as we do this, we need to understand that these, Luke and all the men who wrote the Bible, about 40 of them, all of them are servants of the Word. Servants of the Word. They are not masters. They are not telling God what he should write. They are not injecting their own opinions. But this is God's truth, and he's using these men almost as instruments of sorts to write his Word. Almost like um, secretaries taking dictation, but it's not quite as mechanical because he involves their own feelings and lives. You and I want to be servants of the Word, too. We, we don't write scripture, but we write scriptural things. We don't write scripture, but we believe scripture. We bank our lives on scripture. We read and study scripture. We want to believe scripture, and so we want to be servants of the word too, not masters. Here's how that happens as we look in these verses from Luke chapter 1. Look at verse 3. Luke writes this, I myself have carefully investigated everything. See, so for Luke, as he's going to write this, these events of Jesus' life, accuracy is important. For Luke, there is an attainable goal of absolute truth. That is crazy talk in our world today. There is no absolute truth in our society, our culture today. Well, they say there isn't, but we Christians know that there is, and it's here in, in Scripture. And so here's what we do because we know that God's Word is absolute truth. We search the Scriptures. We search for, in our over-opinionated world, we know there's truth, and we go to the Scriptures to find it. 
Verse 4, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. See, there's certainty there, and you can know it. It is possible. Tell all your millennial friends who say there's only relative truth, that there's absolute truth in existing God's Word. It will exist in your life and in your study of the Word in two ways, if you can ask yourself two questions. Number one, am I teachable? Okay? Luke said, I'm, teach me. Teach me the truth. What happened at Jesus' birth? I have to find this out so I can write it in Luke chapter 2 and write the Christmas story. What happened? Right? You, you just tell me and I'll write it. Are you teachable by God's Word? When God's Word confronts something that you disagree with God on, are you willing to yield to God? Or are you going to dig in your boots and say, this is my opinion and my opinion stands? Right? So if you're a servant of the Word, you're teachable. I know you are because you're all here today and you're listening. Secondly, and am, I, am I biased? It's a good question. Biased in a good way. Right? We usually use that term as, as a, a pejorative term, meaning you know, you're, you're no good. But we all have our bias. We have good biases. Are you biased when you read the Bible? And here's your bias. God wrote this. It's God's Word. When I come across something that's hard to understand or sounds like a contradiction, it's, it's perfect. God wrote it. I believe it. That's how, that's how we're biased. And so we want to be biased towards God's truth, not toward our personal opinion. And so we Lutherans have this saying, and if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down because it's a really good saying, and remember this for your Bible study. And it's particularly Lutheran. Scripture interprets Scripture. I already did that in my sermon because we're looking at Luke and how he's the inspired author of God's Word. But what I did is I took you to one of Peter's epistles. I took you to 2 Peter. So I let the Bible explain what we're hearing in Luke chapter 1. I didn't stand over it as master and say, I'm going to tell you what I think that means. So we let Scripture interpret Scripture. That's a big deal for Lutherans and, uh, and how we get to the truth of God's Word. It's how we're servants of the Word. Okay, secondly, I search the Scriptures, and then I find the truth in the Scriptures. Look at verse 1 as Luke writes. The things that have been fulfilled among us. That literally means firmly established. It, it's true. It's real. I take it that way. I'm reading an awesome book right now called Essentialism. Um, if, you, if you need help get, getting your life organized, this is an awesome book to talk about uh, priorities and organizing your life. Essentialism, you can guess it's talking about there are things that are essential and things that are not. Work in your essentials. Uh, and so one of the points it makes is that if we're working in essentials and we can make a decision about one essential thing, amid a thousand options, it actually gives clarity to life and it makes it easier. Why? Because once we choose that one essential thing, we're not running around dealing with a thousand other things. So that's his argument for essentialism. And it applies to God's truth. When I'm willing to bow down to God and say, that's the truth, I'm, I'm going to Im implement that, I believe it, that takes a thousand other non-true options off the table. 
And in a sense, it makes life easier. I'm not dealing with all those other convoluted opinions. I'm just, it makes life clearer. You're less confused when you're finding the truth of Scripture in your life. So, we want to have our Bibles. Um, I've really enjoyed visiting you on our Every Member visits this summer. I can't wait to visit everyone. I'm getting there. But the, so, some of my favorite conversations in those visits are talking to you about your use of the Bible and God's Word in your life and in your home. And to the person, everyone has, has said, literally everyone has said, this is what I do, but I want to do more. This is, this is the Bible in my life, but I see it as being bigger in my life. Uh, that is encouraging. Not just that you have a Bible, and it's gathering dust on a shelf somewhere. No, you have a Bible, and you read the Bible. And not just that you have a Bible, and you read the Bible, but you have a Bible, you read the Bible, and you know the Bible. You know where to find the book of Habakkuk. And not just that you have a Bible, and you read the Bible, and you know where to find the book of Habakkuk, but that you use the Bible. That, that you do something with the Bible. That you apply the truths in the Bible to, to your believing and your thinking and your feeling and your doing in life. And so I want to give you some examples here um, in, the, in this book of Luke, of people doing something with the Bible. Luke did something with the truths that he uncovered. He wrote them down. And because Luke wrote them down, you and I have them today. We have the Christmas story from Luke. Matthew tells us some of the Christmas story, but Luke tells us many more details. Without Luke, we wouldn't have. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree, right? That famous Christmas story. But we have it because Luke did something. He wrote it down. Chapter 1, verse 29 in Luke. You can follow along with me if you want and find these verses. I'll post it on the screen too. This is about Mary. Mary, the mother of Jesus, right? When the angel comes to her, it says, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered. Wondered what kind of greeting this might be. She wondered. That's, that's the word of God like a quiet fireplace. Very relaxing, very calming. And you, kind of, you sit in front of it and you, you just, you're kind of in la-la land. You're just meditating and thinking. And that's what Mary was doing. She was just meditating, like being in front of a, crackling fireplace. Verse 38, this is Mary again. I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. She's doing something. She's being drawn in by God. That's, that's the word of God like a bonfire, right? Go out wherever you, campground somewhere. There's all a bunch of people at the beach. Make a bonfire. Guess what? People are going to come and go, hey, wow, that's, what's going on? Let's, let's be near the bonfire. So God's word, like a bonfire, attracts you. It draws you in. It, it pulls you in to be in it and involved in it. And that's what happened to Mary. Chapter 2, verse 19. Last one about Mary here. Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. That word pondered literally means put into action. So she put the word of God into action in her heart. It was like stirring her, like uh, this, this might be like an oven or a stove and there's cooking going on and if it's in the oven or the crock pot, it, right, and it's on and it's heating, all those juices are, are blending and marinating together or you're stirring a pot on the stove, right? So this is being stirred. Something's happening. 
Something's happening. Chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. John the Baptist. The word of God came to John in the desert, and then he was preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Pre he preached it! When you, you don't just have the word of God, you preach it, you share it, you proclaim it to others. You live it. So that at work, you have someone come to you and, and they say to you, I want what you have. How do I get it? This is you sharing the word that's in you with everyone around you by your life and by your lips. This is like, like fireworks display on the 4th of July. Ooh, ah, everybody notices it. Everybody oohs and ahs. That's what God's word does in your life and in you. It's doing something. It's making a difference. Final one, chapter 4, verse 4. This is Jesus being tempted in the wilderness by the devil. And this is one of Jesus' replies. When the devil says to him, why don't you turn these stones into bread? Jesus says, man does not live on bread alone. He's quoting from the Old Testament. And that verse goes on to say, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. You, don't, you and I don't live by earthly things alone. What's our fuel? What's the gas inside of us that lights us? It's the word of God. See, so the Word of God does something. And because of the Word of God, we do something. It makes a difference. So, in this section, we've seen how God's Word does something. Now I want to turn the tables and show you in Luke chapter 24 how, how something does something to the Word of God. And it's actually Jesus who does something to the Word of God. He makes it fulfilled and makes it true for us. So we're going to skip over to Luke chapter 24 and not go move from being servants of the Word to seeing the Savior of the Word. And that's our God, including the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So, transfer, move in your mind to the story of the Emmaus disciples. Okay, now we're walking with those disciples uh, on that road, headed away from Jerusalem, and, and Jesus appears. And look at verse 16. It says that these two men were kept from recognizing him, kept from recognizing Jesus. See, their outward inability reflected their inner disbelief in the promises of Jesus and in the scriptures. So, the first thing that our Savior of the Word does, our Savior of the Word God, he saves us from our foolish thinking. The reason that the disciples didn't recognize Jesus is because they were thinking foolishly. They were thinking the wrong things. Jesus says this, verse 25. How foolish you are and slow of heart, my translation says of heart, slow of heart to believe. Right, Jesus and you're... You're being silly. That's why you're not recognizing me. You're, you're foolish. You're slow of heart. And then guess what? A bunch of fools get together and share their foolishness with each other. Verse 14. They were talking with each other about everything. <laughs> so now our foolish thinking gets validated by other people of foolish thinking. And then we just, and we think, wow, this is the way we should think because someone else agrees with me. So now th th this is good, but it's... But it's silly, foolish thinking. And then we see how foolish that is in verse 21. 
It kept them from recognizing Jesus. Verse 21, the disciples say, We had hoped that he was the one who is going to redeem Israel. See what foolish thinking does? Foolish thinking, when it comes to Jesus, makes us create our own version of him. And when we create our own version of Jesus, then he's not the real Jesus anymore. And we're worshiping and we're honoring and we're learning from basically a projected version of ourself. This vision or, or mission idea that the disciples had, that, that Jesus was going to be the one to restore Israel, to be this political Messiah and Savior, it was a very selfish vision that the Jews had just for the Jews. And Jesus wouldn't allow it. He, he wouldn't hear anything about it. But when we're stuck in our foolish thinking, we revert to survivalist mode, and survivalist mode without Jesus is, is right, taking care of number one, and that's me. That's where my foolish thinking leads me. So I, I create my own version of Jesus, and then I pray to him, and I expect things from him, and it doesn't work out the way that I want, and I get confused, and I lose clarity. I'm not on mission anymore, and guess what happens? Verse 17. Their faces were downcast. They were troubled. They were afraid. Filled with despair. It, it seemed hopeless. They didn't know what to believe. They were confused. And when that happens, Jesus isn't the problem. You and I are the problem by our foolish, selfish, limited thinking. So here these disciples, they, weren't, they were looking for something but not finding it. As a matter of fact, they didn't even know what they were looking for. But they found it. Or maybe it's better to say, it found them. And it finds you and me too. And that's, uh, that's God finding us. His forgiveness, his grace, his salvation. It finds us. God saves us. And he does it by fulfilling his word. So the word of God is all about God coming to you. Okay, we have a word for that. And sometimes I think that's misused when we talk about being God's word. We call it our devotions. Right? Did you have your devotion this morning? Do you have a family devotion with your family? We call it devotion. Be careful because what does that word devotion mean? It means, right, dedicated to something, taking a vow or making a promise and, and fulfilling it. But when you're in God's Word, you're reading it and you're studying it and it's working on you, it is way more about God's devotion to you than about your devotion to God. Make sure that you think of your Bible reading time and you plan for your Bible reading time and you, and you make it happen in your world because first and foremost, it's not something that you're doing. It's not, some, it's not something on your to-do list. It's not a task you have to cross off for the day. First and foremost, it is God coming to you and doing, being devoted to you and speaking to you in his word and loving you and assuring you and centering you and getting rid of your foolish thinking and filling your heart with his forgiveness 
And then you, then you do things for him, but first and foremost, it's God saving you, but he fulfills his word in two ways. Verse 15. Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. Here's the point. Jesus, by his, just by his presence, he doesn't even say anything yet. He's just walking there. Here's his point. Hey, you know when I said I was going to rise from the dead on the third day? Yeah, here I am. He's, he's saying, when I say I'm going to do something, it always happens, always. The devil can't stop it. Death cannot stop it. Sin and its curse and guilt cannot stop it. People cannot stop it. When I say it's going to happen, it happens. You may not recognize it, but it happens. That's the effect that God's word has. And Jesus makes that promise. He always keeps his word. And now he gets deeper. Look at verse 27. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, right, that refers to the Old Testament. The first five books of the Old Testament are written by Moses. Most of the rest of them are written by prophets. And so it's saying he walked his, these disciples through the Old Testament, through the scriptures. He explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. <laughs> this is like Jesus coming and leading a Bible study in your church. Wow. You think Pastor Patterson's good at teaching Bible study. Nothing compared to Jesus being there. This is answers provided. This is like doing a crossword puzzle, and it's one of those buggers that you just cannot get. There's a section in the upper right-hand corner, and it leads into this section, and you just can't get these words, and you're frustrated, and you just, look, you just have to look at the solution to the puzzle and catch a few words. That's what this is. Jesus is the solution to the puzzle of, of who is, what, what's going on here? And Jesus provides answers as the solution to the puzzle. But here's the more powerful piece. This is not just answers provided. This is the answer is a person. Christianity is different than all other religions because all other religions, they kind of like give you answers, but you have to put those answers into effect. You have to find those answers. You have to live those answers. And when you live enough of them, then you're good enough for whoever that religion's God is. So they'll say that they give you answers, like Christianity says we give you answers. But it's all up to you to plug them into the crossword puzzle of your life and make them all fit. Here's what makes Christianity different. Our, the answer is not just provided to you. The answer is a person. The answer to the fears of the Emmaus disciples, to their confusion, to their lack of clarity, to their faces downcast, to their shrugged shoulders, to their troubles and trials, to not knowing where they were going. The answer was right there, standing next to them, was Jesus in person. Here's the difference between the answer being a, 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 a puzzle solver, a solution, and the person. You want to create a fantastic meal at home for some special friends who are coming over, for your family, for your spouse, whoever, right? You're, you want to create this out-of-this-world meal. You want to cook like you've never cooked before. 
And you, you have to gather your recipes and you're watching YouTube videos and you, you have to figure all this out. And it's, it becomes a little overwhelming because you've just set the bar so high and, and now you're running late and you don't have some ingredients. And it would be like you pushing a button and the, a world-renowned chef showing up in your kitchen and saying, I'll take it from here. And producing the, this out-of-this-world meal in your own kitchen for, for whoever you want to prepare it for. That's the answer in person. That's what Jesus does by fulfilling the word of God and coming to you in person with all of it done, all of the laws kept, all of God's promises are yes in Christ, the Bible says, because you have not just a solution to the puzzle, you have a person, a real being, Jesus, and he walks with you and he comes to you like these disciples. All right, finally, the Holy Spirit fulfills the word in us. You see the word fulfilled in the disciples in verses 28 and 29. You see the difference it's making now. As Jesus presents them with the word, what happens? They urged him strongly, stay with us, don't leave. We love you, we love what you're doing, Jesus, stay with us. Verse 31, and then their eyes were opened and they recognized Jesus. Why did they recognize him? Because something happened before that. Verse 32, they're, they're summarizing here. They're saying, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Catch the order here. On the road, while they are walking, their hearts were burning. Later, when they got to the room, their eyes were opened. Jesus wants to change your heart before he changes your mind, before he changes what you see, before he solves your problem like a crossword puzzle solution, before all of that. The, the Holy Spirit wants to change your heart and make it burn with his word, with passion. And then you're going to see things differently. Then you're going to see your Savior way more than you see him now with the eyes of faith. Then you're going to see solutions to problems in your life that you just aren't resolvable until, you're, until you have the burning heart of faith in God's word. That, that burning heart is the gift and the goal of the Bible. It's a gift that Jesus came and the Holy Spirit gave to the Emmaus disciples, and he's, it's a gift he's giving to you right now and has given to you many times and will give to you every time you study the scriptures. I hadn't done this in a while, but just this last week, I burned a couple CDs. I hadn't done it in a while because, you know, music is digital, MP3, it's on iTunes, I don't need CDs as much. But uh, I wanted to burn a few for, a, for a, a couple media places that I would use them, and so I burned them. That's what we call it. You burn a CD. What does that really mean? You're burning onto that disc. You're burning, an, an imp you're burning data or even images. You can burn pictures onto a CD. That's God's work in your heart and life with his word. He burns into your heart the data, the truths of Scripture. He burns them. He ma makes this impression and they're in there and they don't leave. And then you live with them. 
And he burns not just data, not just truth, but an image. And that image is his own image. It's Jesus. And he transfers himself to you, to your life. And the Holy Spirit puts him there and keeps him there. And through his word, you have Jesus and you have his truths and you have Jesus himself in your heart. Not just walking next to you, not just coming to you when you pray, but living in there and burning your heart with his word. Go to God's word, believe God's word, live God's word, do God's word, and the Holy Spirit's going to give you that burning heart too. Amen.